Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. The following message has been brought to you by Fairway Market. What's the buzz about honey? Well, those busy little bees are up to something, and it is delicious. The Fairway label honey is superb. Fairway only hires worker bees that are the best at what they do. This makes for a great-tasting, high-quality honey at an amazing value with the Fairway stamp of approval. And on top of being delicious, honey is a great substitute for other sweeteners and can even benefit your health. This includes better energy, respiratory improvements, and balanced blood sugar levels. It's a no-brainer. Get your Fairway honey today. Welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We have a great guest. Um, I'm Alice Marcus Krieg. I'm Carmen DeVito. And we are the ladies of Groundworks, Inc. Um, We design, install, and maintain gardens around New York City. And we have a great old friend guest um, today talking about um, Fort Greene Park and the renovation of Fort Greene Park in Brooklyn. John and I worked, John Krawchuk is his name. Hello, John. Hello, Allison Carmen. He's Hi. the Director of Historic Preservation for New York Parks and Rec. Um, John and I worked on a Carnegie Library project in 1997, 1998, where we restored the landscape and invented a landscape. There was actually no landscape around one of the Carnegie um, Public Libraries in uh, as part of Brooklyn Public Library. So... We've been friends for a long time. He works in the Capital Projects Department. Um, He practices historic preservation in the public service sector, having spent much of his career in the municipal design sector. He's director of historic preservation for the city of New York Parks and Rec, where he facilitates capital preservation initiatives for parks, properties in all five boroughs. New York City Parks and Rec manages over 29,000 acres of parkland throughout the city. That's a lot of land. I bet some developers would like to get their paws on that. Yeah, well, let's keep them away. <laughs> we keep acquiring it from the developers, which is the good thing. That's oh, good. Really? I'm glad oh. it's working in that direction. That sounds like a whole other show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and uh, he facilitates archaeological investigations and environmental review on parks property. So he has a really fascinating, interesting job. Um concerned with New York history and that's actually where where we worked on this library project um, in Fort Greene Brooklyn and again we're back in Fort Greene for today's show talking about Fort Greene Park um, which is just half a block away from the library correct right the Walt Whitman library yeah 
So John is a registered landscape architect with a Bachelor of Science in Landscape Architecture from California State Polytechnic University in Pomona. 1990 was his graduating date. And he holds a Master's of Science in Historic Preservation from Columbia University in 1995. And interestingly enough, a little bit of personal information, John was roommates with my prom date. From I think this is a conflict of interest. Philip Palmgren. Yeah. I think this is a cl- conflict of interest here. Right. I'm really just looking for Philip Palmgren again. Will you please He's call in? Owens, Merrill. Jack, will you give us that number <laughs> again so Alice's prom date can call no, into this no program? No, actually, I do not want that to happen. Um, John joined Parks in 1997 as a preservation project manager and was promoted to the position of director in 2002. He also serves as a member of the Conservation Advisory Group, uh, the technical advisory body for the New York City Public Design Commission that reviews conservation and restoration projects for all city-owned works of art and miscellaneous urban structures. That's correct. Um, He's played significant roles in a variety of of restorations, namely Washington Square Park, which I think every New Yorker knows, Brooklyn's Fort Greene Park, which we're going to talk about today, and some more unusual resources like the New York State Pavilion, the Coney Island uh, Carousel, and Pale Mail's Fifth Avenue Nest. Okay, wait a minute. I have to ask you about that briefly. <laughs> what did you have to do with the nest? Well, interestingly enough... <laughs> it wasn't I, positioned the right way <laughs> on the windowsill. <laughs> well, there, there was a slight controversy a number of years ago when the nest was disturbed. So Parks was called in, and my role was actually to um, advise on the landmarks components to right. installing a more permanent nest for Pale Mail and his companions. Oh, in case those of you who aren't from New York who don't know who Pale Mail is, will you tell them who is Pale Mail? <laughs> well, Pale Mail is one of the most famous hawks in, uh, in yeah. one of the most famous hawks in, in New York, That's actually. Right. And he lives in Central Park. And, and I think he got some pretty worldwide press, actually, yeah. at yeah. the time a number of years so ago. So you should know who Pale Mail is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we helped design a new nest for him to attach to the building. So does I had he, to make sure we got like Landmark's it? approval for that. He's he's okay with that nest now? Um, I think so. Yeah. Um, other than I, you know, I think um, I don't know how successful he was reproducing in that nest. So I think, uh, I think he's that, moved on to other other digs at this point. I think that hawk probably has a better uh, address and landing uh, landing spot than, than I most people than most New, New Yorkers, Yorkers. <laughs> better view the best real estate in the city <laughs> um, okay so let's talk about Fort Greene Park right um, the early history and the background the history of present day Fort Greene Park is very long and very layered can you give us some background on the historical um, genesis of the park the changes over time and the origins of its name absolutely um fort green park in in brooklyn new york america's hometown is really an amazing park and i always love telling people about it because so many of the greats of landscape architecture actually worked on this park right it's kind of a who's who of Absolutely. You have Alexander Jackson Downing's influence initially when the park officially becomes a park in 1850. Uh, then you have Olmsted and Vox, the famous designers of Central Park, mm-hmm. um, that designed Brooklyn's first park. Right, Prospect um, Park. Uh, well, no, Brooklyn's first oh, park Brooklyn's being first park, Fort right. Green Park. Often people do feel it's Prospect Park, but well, it's actually it's Fort Green. larger and more well-known. Exactly. Well, it's one of their, it is their great masterpiece, Prospect Park. But first they worked on, on this park, which was... Uh, Fort Green Park, so we had their involvement. Um, and then later, um, in um, 
the 20th century, we have the firm of McKim, Mead and White, specifically mm-hmm. Stanford White, who takes an active role um, in designing an incredible monument that still exists in the center of the park. And then um, Gilmore Clark, who is really one of our great landscape architects um, at the Parks Department from the WPA 1930s era. And he does a design between 1934 and 36 that's implemented in the park. So he had a hand in it. Okay. And then um, literally in the tail end of its life, um, or uh, uh, you know, the current uh, configuration of the park, we have A.E. Bai, who mm-hmm. comes in in uh, the 1970s. They were preparing for the bicentennial celebrations and the Martyrs Memorial in the center of the park factored prominently in that. So they wanted to spruce up the park, so he had a hand on it. He was known for Saratoga horse ranches and famous garden designs um, and naturalistic um, designed um, landscape features. That Mm -hmm. was his thing. Um, And then the most recent restoration, which, uh, you know, the landscape architecture portion of that was done by Linda Lawton, who is one of our very talented landscape architects at the Olmsted Center, Mm -hmm. which is where we do design and construction for all New York City parks all 29,000 acres of them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, we worked very closely with Linda to uh, conceive of the current plaza configuration in the park when we started the renovation in 2006, and that was completed in 2008. So those are really, um, that's the, the genesis of the history. And what's really great is that um, every single one of those generations, their hand is still visible in the park, all right. five, six eras of, of that's design. That's interesting, they didn't wipe clean like sometimes they do they right. just start over it's it's a treasure it's yeah. it's 30 acres in size a little over 30 acres and um it's just a, a a gorgeous park and i just you know love the whole background the history well the everybody paintings. respects the background and the history and i think that's why it has retained its 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 design elements um it hasn't been leveled and recreated um it is a revolutionary war site Correct. Um, that that's when it was built, and it was named Fort Putnam. Originally, yes. But what is the origin of the current name? Um, and tell us a, a, about Fort Putnam. Like. Sure. Uh, Fort Putnam was built in preparation for the Revolutionary War, and um, ultimately was taken over by the British, who, um, as Brooklynites know, occupied um, Brooklyn for seven years. Mm-hmm. And in the so, of Brooklyn. Yeah, uh, absolutely. There's uh, incredible. Um, um, Revolutionary War history that mm-hmm. has occurred throughout Brooklyn, and um, um, there wasn't necessarily a great battle that that one can point to at this particular location, but it was fortified as and named Fort Putnam. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting about this park that's unusual for Brooklyn, which is relatively flat, is that there is a natural hill that occurs in the middle of the park that rises a hundred feet, and so it was a logical place to build a fort that had. Um, full views of Brooklyn out to Long Island, um, the whole of New York Harbor. It was very strategic. Um, Mm -hmm. And now that we have it as a New York City park, it makes for an incredible um, variety of landscape terrain and um, design moments within the park. Right. And there's a uh, there's a crypt located in the park, right? There is. Um, and uh, going back to the Revolutionary War for a moment, um, the reason why the crypt is there is that the remains of, of, of who are called the prison ship martyrs are held mm-hmm. in this crypt. And uh, these were 
um, uh, it's approximated 11,500, uh, mostly men, mm-hmm. um, but there could have been women and children. More research continues to happen on, on the prison ships, but, but, but these um, martyrs, these Americans, were held in prison ships in Wallabout Bay, which is very close to the Fort Greene Park site, which right. is now the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Mm-hmm. And um, they were kept on these ships for a period of seven years, and um, thousands of them died. It's really one of the great stories of the Revolutionary War um, as a whole that not many people realize that um, that history happened right here in Brooklyn. Right. And as the um, prisoners died, they were buried in shallow graves along the shores of the East River, and eventually those bones washed up for years and years and were collected by local individuals. And Eventually, in the early 19th century, uh, it was decided that a memorial should be formed, and a little wood memorial was created down at the Brooklyn Navy Yard where they were held in uh, caskets. Mm-hmm. Um, Olmsted and Vox had the vision to bring those remains when the original memorial was deteriorating into Fort Greene Park, and so that's how they ended up arriving. But first, we had to have Walt Whitman, yes, yes who created tell, the park. Yes, yeah. tell us about that. That's really interesting to me. Well, you know, Walt Whitman, he's legendary. Um, I just have to say the name, and people know who Walt Whitman is. The original when, hipster. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. He, and yeah. he looks like one in he those does. historic photos yeah. when he was younger. Carmen posted a great photo on our Facebook fan page, so go check it out. So, yeah, so Walt Whitman, I mean, he really was the one who was advocating for um, a lot of the things we're advocating for now with this whole green movement that we're Naturalistic going. Naturalistic environments. Yeah, cleaner right. air and a better environment. And he lived very close to the park on Myrtle Avenue, and he was advocating for Brooklyn to have its own park. You know, Brooklyn's a village in 1830, and with every decade that passed, the population was more than doubling. And mm-hmm. so they needed parks. Mm-hmm. And then Brooklyn Village becomes the city of Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then in consolidation, it becomes part of larger New York. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but Walt Whitman is one who really advocated for, for a park, and ultimately, um, through articles that he wrote in the Brooklyn Eagle, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, and through just public pressure, um, a park is established, and this becomes, Fort Greene becomes Brooklyn's first park in 1850. And the green part, because it's a green with an E, right? Is actually, it is green, but um, green. the green with an E yeah. is for Nathaniel Green. Oh, okay. 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 I was wondering who it was who, named for. Yeah. Yeah, who um, was, uh, during the Revolutionary War, was involved with designing the original Fort Putnam. Um, okay. He, um, you know, was, was a, a, a commander and a war hero. And um, had involvement with designing that fort. And so ultimately, the neighborhood is named for him, as well as ultimately the park. But the park's original name was Washington Park, Mm. which is why one street on one side of the park is Washington Park. But today, Washington Park in Brooklyn is actually the former J.J. Byrne Park. Yes. Which is where the Old Stone House is. You did an episode on that last year. Yeah, week. exactly. Yeah. And the yeah. Old Stone House is actually the site of the Battle of Brooklyn, where George Washington came into this Dutch farmhouse, the Old Stone House, and there was a very ugly, bloody battle um, that occurred on, at, on this farm. Um, and it, you know, it, it's that's a whole other story. But um, it's just very interesting how Brooklyn actually holds so much. Um, horticulture history and mm-hmm. actually and that's why the parks department is now uh is now the uh the owner of of such well, it's lucky landscapes owner. well yeah. it's very interesting too that um so much of brooklyn was dutch people don't think about it as being a revolutionary war 
right. being important well, in the, the Revolutionary War. Right. Everybody yeah. thinks of Boston and and Washington and, you know, but, you know, New York was, was really the center of, of life, right. city life. So Well, the Battle of Long Island, we got yeah. chased out a little early in the game, but, um, but held our own later on the continent. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So, um, but, um, yeah, it was seven years that the British occupied um, Brooklyn and that the, all of those prisoners were being held in these really dank, um, horrible conditions, wow. packed solid, no light below deck, were... You, you hear cruel stories about war these days. This is as cruel as any of them. And uh-huh. so this is why it's an important story that needs to be told. And, and the monument itself actually speaks to the prominence and importance of their sacrifice. Right. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that because that was just restored, right? Well, we actually have yes. to take a break. Oh, okay. Hang on. We'll come back and we'll talk about all the designers and all of their significant designs within the park. To be continued. To be continued. <laughs> fitting song for a very fitting discussion today. We're, we're talking with John Krawchuk from the uh, New York City Parks Department, who was the overseer of the park restoration, Fort Green Park. And um, we're going to get right back into it. Um, let's talk about, you mentioned a lot of designers that have been instrumental in the design of this park. So let's yes. talk about significantly what were their design trends if you will and and ideas associated with the park sure so um we originally start park is um established in 1850 and is immediately landscaped um according to the principles of alexander jackson downing who at the time was quite well known in the united states for his naturalistic pastoral designs mm-hmm. um, often related to um, country houses capability brown exactly era. modeled yeah. on that um, brought that here to the united states you have curving paths and soft plantings and um, you know sort of a naturalistic feel to the landscape and so that's the initial vision that's um, established for for the park it's planted and immediately trampled and becomes a big <laughs> dirt bowl <laughs> um, it was a wildly popular park and right. uh, parks that sounds were like my name my I hate to interject, but that's exactly what happened when my neighborhood park was restored, John. Well, well, that's well a, we, we try that's to work on that at parks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's the necessity of parks in urban life. It just life. shows I mean, how you, much it's needed. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, we try to do these days, you know, irrigation and put fences up till things establish right. and hopefully that is happening we've gotten right. a lot better at that but in, woman in, with her parasol just keeps banging into <laughs> me <laughs> well and th- those were real issues because parks you have to remember were relatively new at that time in 1850 we didn't have a lot of experience um, managing parks certainly not in Brooklyn because this is their first park right um, and a lot of the people living in Brooklyn are immigrants and they want to recreate have fresh air there was a very large Irish population that surrounded this neighborhood uh, relatively poor and so 
episode, these places were real areas of escape from them. Right. Uh, from what was rapidly becoming a very industrialized city. With a lot of disease and absolutely you know, sanitary conditions. And, right. Definitely. And, you know, people just, you know, there, there wasn't the, the necessarily the funds to fence things off, et cetera. So people just, you know, use the park. Right. Um, it didn't last long, which is the reason why ultimately Olmsted and Vox are brought in to refurbish it in their and their design through a competition, their award of design and, um, they work on it from 1867 to 68. So then we have their era of the park, uh, which continues with the naturalistic look, but adds some formal elements. There's a little more money, or mm-hmm. a lot more money. Um, this is when the remains of the martyrs are actually brought into the park from the Brooklyn Navy Yard, okay. where they were held in a wood-style monument that was right. deteriorating. Um, and they designed this incredible double flight of stairs that went up to the top of the hill to a saluting battery. Um, A lot of the spaces that were designed for public parks often related to military parades, Mm -hmm. and so this accommodated that um, for the right reasons as well. There weren't these great views out to New York Harbor and Wallabout Bay where these martyrs had been kept and Mm -hmm. died. Mm -hmm. So um, that was an important element, and um, this incredible flight of stairs, you know, kind of wound its way up the hill, the 100-foot-high hill to... um, a small gazebo mm-hmm. that was cruciform-shaped. formed, cruciform shaped. And the back side of the park, which goes over to DeKalb, is um, more naturalistic with winding paths, tree plantings, meadows, shrubs, mm-hmm. um, those types of features. Mm-hmm. Olmsted and Vox originally envisioned a more elaborate crypt, very similar if you know Greenwood Cemetery. Right, a Gothic-style. The Gothic gates there. Right. Um, they wanted something really elaborate that's did justice to this sacrifice and mm-hmm. um, didn't have the money as mm-hmm. you know often happens you have to phase things and it never happened right so um, then we but come it's a beautiful design oh it's a, it's a gorgeous design and, and elements of it are still visible some yeah. of my favorite trees this is a this is a park to go see trees yeah um, really there are some great specimen trees my favorite one is 62 inches in diameter at the top of the hill so you should go check it out it's wow. a London plane tree uh, Platinus, uh-huh. and um, it's uh, 62 inches um, in diameter. That's my wow. height. <laughs> <laughs> and so imagine that in you know width for yeah, a tree. Right. It's near the Comfort Station. So okay. anyone going up to see the beautiful McKim Mead and White Comfort Station at the top of the hill, <laughs> looks straight towards the monument, and you'll see this beautiful tree in front of you. That's it. Okay. And there are other great trees in the park. We'll, hopefully we'll get to that a little later. And looking at the drawing, uh, John, there's separate playgrounds for boys and girls? Well, in Olmsted and Vox, yes. Um, and that was a common theme throughout many of our early parks to yeah. separate the play because um, mm. they had different um, activities at that era um, and different energy levels and all the rest of it. Um, yeah. And there would have been schools probably coming over here and using them as well. Right. right. That makes sense. So they would have separated the play. Um, but yeah, Olmsted and Vox, um, that's their era. Okay. Then in 1905, another competition is held because, you know, the, the American martyrs were very close to people's hearts and minds, right. and they still felt that a proper memorial needed to be constructed. So a competition is held. Some really great architects enter it. Career and Hastings, the designers of the New York Public Library, right. enter right. it. McKim, Mead, and White, who also, you know, were great architects here in, in New York and throughout. Um, the Northeast mm-hmm. ultimately are awarded that design, mm-hmm. and in 1905 they start work on it. Um, in 1906, Stanford White is murdered. 
And it's said, uh, I've read this in uh, in a book, that he was actually working on the Fort Greene Martyrs Memorial the night that he went, you know, stopped work, went up to Madison Garden, and was shot dead by Harry Thaw. Ah. Oh. So it was that whole scandalous era in 1906, Evelyn Nesbitt, and the scandal right. that surrounded that. But this is the very, when you say it's his last public work, it literally was the last thing he worked on on his desk before heading out that night. Right. Wow. And it's um, an incredible monument. It's 149 feet in height. Mm -hmm. It's a Doric fluted column made of Newport white granite. Mm -hmm. And he never got to see it realized, Stanford white that is, um, but it was constructed between 1906 and 1908 uh, and dedicated by President-elect Taft, who mm -hmm. actually came in for the ceremonies. The entire mm -hmm. column was draped in um, an American flag bunting and oh, dropped. Oh, wow. Very dramatic. And McKimmy and White, well, I'd like to say they completely changed it. Their their design made a huge imprint on, on the park. You were commenting earlier, Alice, well, about they, the stairs. They, the stairs that lead up, and I, I want our, view, our listeners to go to the Fort Greene Park website um, and also Parks Department. Do you have do you have archive photos on your we do. website? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Enter ahead. Fort Greene with an E, Park, okay. yeah. and you'll get lots of information off the park's website. And you'll see, you'll see the, all the reiterations of the design. And the original design was these stairs flanking up this hill, but there was land in between the two staircases. Correct. And it was um, Stanford White's firm that actually linked they took away the land and linked these stairs together so now it's just this huge platform is that right, right? you yeah. think rocky had a challenge down in philadelphia <laughs> yeah, running right. up stairs come run up these stairs this is brooklyn Green. baby yeah <laughs> you got it well i bet people do right yeah. I bet it's oh i not was just out there today yeah. and yeah. there were it's good exercise you don't need stairmaster at the gym no, go run no. the stairs at fort green no it's it's a great it's an incredible flight of stairs a hundred imagine a, a stair tread a hundred feet in 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 length as right. you're ascending it and going up times a hundred feet almost a hundred feet in height right. uh there are landings so there are opportunities to rest but it is <laughs> um it is um an incredible flight of stairs and not to be missed uh as far as just the drama of a beaux-arts design in a new york city right. Park. To me, it's very imposing if we're going to be design, you know, critiques. Uh, to me, well, it's too much. I, I, I prefer the the left and the right and the the center landscaping. But. Yeah, and I, um, you know, it was McKimbead and White, and so they were all about, um, you know, often their designs weren't necessarily, they were always executed very, very well um, as far as the materials and the attention to detail. This particular one, though, has a great dramatic effect, and I, I I have a feeling that the reason for that had to do with the actual event that it was commemorating, which yeah. was the prison ship martyrs, that maybe he really wanted people to know labor what happened. And labor, you and know, absolutely. To, to this memorial. Yeah. So you basically have this this 100-foot-high granite column, and then you've got a granite plinth at the bottom, mm -hmm. and then at the very top there's a 25-foot-tall funerary bronze urn that is designed by Adolf Weinman, who was a very well-known um, artist at the time. Uh, McKim, Mead, and White used them a lot. Um, it's speculated they designed the eagles at the plaza level as well. And this plaza at the bottom, or I should say, the plaza at the top of the staircase, when you get there, measures 220 feet by 220 feet. Talk about also, you know, making a statement. Um, and they originally had a brick-banded 
uh, plaza design, which was removed um, at, at some point, probably by A.E. Bai in the 1970s. He made it grass because A.E. Bai was all about nature. Mm-hmm. He didn't want paving. He wanted grass. Right. We brought that back, though, in 2008, uh, designed by Linda Lawton, one uh-huh. of our Parks Department landscape architects. And she did a great job um, uh, uh, redesigning. It's a McKim Mead and White style plaza with um, granolithic concrete and brick banding. But we had to take into account the the trees that are over 150 years old right. and give them space for their roots to grow. Yeah, right. You don't want to cover that up with... Yeah. So so the plazas, it's quite lovely. It allows for events to happen up there and it's a wonderful way to acknowledge the um, the memorial's original design. And you can go into the column? Is that right, John? Can you... Uh, I can go into the column. Because okay. <laughs> I'm looking at the cross section. There are stairs. Correct. Right, That's okay. Correct, but it's not yeah. open to the public. Unfortunately not. Now, when it was originally designed, it was meant to be open to the public. And the um, the capital uh, of the Dork column is actually a viewing platform, which is pretty dramatic views of the city from up there. Yeah. Now, I've heard there's something. an eternal flame. Well, there was, um, okay. and now it is lit by a fiber optic light. Okay. <laughs> womp, Welcome womp. technology. Yeah. Yeah, we're trying to save electricity. Yeah, it's fiber yeah. optic, low energy. <laughs> um, you're correct, Alice, that, um, that there was an eternal flame as part of the 1905 design. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a gas flame that shot out the top. And it's interesting that it was dismantled, uh, we believe, in the 1940s when the FAA um, um, came into being for flight regulations, so mm-hmm. maybe it had something to do with that. I don't know, but uh, in the redesign in 2008, we did light the entire monument and put a fiber optic light to light the bronze flame at the top. Okay, of the I, it's fascinating. You know, you're talking about all these different designers, all these different visions, and yet the cohesiveness and the respect for the origin of the park. But how fascinating for you as a contemporary designer historian preservationist to really look at all of these elements and put together what you all think is the most interesting and you know improve them make changes like what a fascinating job that you all have well i sometimes i feel like i'm the luckiest person in the world because of the job that i have at new york city parks i mean it's really being the director of preservation and being able to really have a hand in preserving this great history, which, you know, the park system just keeps getting older and older, which is pretty good for job security. I have a lot of work ahead of me to <laughs> <Yeah>. do. Um, <laughs> but I, I really do feel honored being uh, having these treasures placed, um, you know, before me and, um, you know, to, to restore for the public. Right. Um, I mean, not to get too Anne Rand on you, but, you know, <laughs> like, but um, tell us about the deci- some of the decisions that were made, design decisions mm-hmm. on the park. For Fort Greene Park, so for instance, I talked about the plaza earlier. Um, we took a very close look at, at um, what had, had been taken away. That's mm-hmm. often what you do in preservation. You look at what was the original design. You look at plans, photographs. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, Robert Moses photographed everything when he became commissioner in 1934. So we had a, have an incredible photo archive, archive at the Parks Department right. from the 1930s on. And um, we looked closely at that and said, what's missing and what should we bring back? How will that help the community? The community had expressed concerns about wanting to do events up there, but mm-hmm. they were always you know, um, having to deal with mud and you know um, grass that was difficult to navigate and manage and they really felt you know they wanted the paving back so Mm -hmm. we brought it back for them Uh, there were other things that were more controversial like the ginkgo grove at the top of the hill Um, it was 
you know, installed by, designed by Gilmore Clark, who was a very famous landscape architect in the 1930s WPA era. And his signature landscape were these alleys of trees. So mm-hmm. he did the alleys of the Platinus cerifolia. He did the alleys of the ginkgo bilobas that are at the top. Mm-hmm. And um, some people felt they were respectful of the McKimian and White monument design, and they felt it should be removed. So, you know, those are some of the challenges. We ultimately ended up um, feeling saying that those are important elements from another era of uh, designer's era, and that they're worthy of keeping in addition to the fact that the trees provide an incredible benefit to right. us. Right. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. So um, you've said that the the park is of national importance. Is it a national historic treasure? What's the statehood of that? The the park is a local New York City. It's within a local New York City landmark historic district. Mm-hmm. The park is also within a national register, which okay. is of, of it's on the register state and national importance. Okay, um, and there has been desire to list it as NHL, which stands for National Historic Landmark. That's the highest level of listing that you can get. Uh-huh. Uh, and with that come all kinds of benefits, not only the prestige of being a national historic landmark, but potential grant funding and other monies. Right. Because so, it will continue to need preservation and protection. Oh, yeah. We've only restored the monument, the you know the Martyrs Memorial, which is in the center of the park. The whole rest of the park now needs to be tackled. We've got erosion control issues. Uh, all of the retaining walls need to be restored. The perimeter sidewalks is a big focus of ours right now. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of work to do. Uh, and luckily, we partner with the Fort Greene Park Conservancy, which has really been an incredible group to work with. Um, they, you know, they're local in the neighborhood, raising money, doing events, mm-hmm. um, advocating for the park every step of the way. And those partnerships are important at New York City Parks. Extremely, extremely. And for those of you, who I, we talked earlier about the website. I should just mention it's www.myc.parks.gov. Great. And so please go on there, and you can check out um, not only Fort Greene Park but our other great historic. All the parks other good work. And, yeah, Carmen and I will be posting. Um, this website on our fan page after Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. And um, thank you, John, for joining us today and shedding some light on the eternal flame. Thank so to you speak. so much. It's really, it's been, it's been a pleasure. We really. didn't read any Walt Whitman poetry, so that's no. good. Sometimes. <laughs> I'll, <laughs> on come air. I'll come back. We'll John, have a part we, two. We would love to have yeah. you back. So, cause you're working on lots of other interesting things too. Happy you know? to do that. Anytime. Yeah. Thank you for listening. You're listening to heritage radio network. We dig plants. Thanks to our sponsor. Thanks to Jack and Carlos for engineering and producing. Thanks to John Krawchuk and the New York City Parks Department. Um, And happy gardening. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.